So like I said, you're so welcome. Uh, welcome to a family of hope, a family of life. Um, we're a family that's passionately gathered around Jesus and what he's doing in our city. We say this almost every time we gather. You know, we don't have a vision for a church. We don't measure how successful or effective we are by how many bodies are in this building, but by how much of the... Thank you very much, Darren. No, that's all right. Lived in Los Angeles years ago, and uh, we were out with a friend, and uh, somebody said, Andy, how do you take your coffee? And my uh, friend answered for me, said he takes his coffee like his women, strong and black. <laughs> what was I talking about there? Oh, yes. <laughs> the answer is Jesus. Um, we don't measure our effectiveness or our success by what happens in this building as much as we love to gather as a family, but by how much of the life of Jesus we join in with and release in our community, in our families, in the places that we work in. So you're so, so welcome. We're in the middle of a conversation called Making Room for More. And um, one of the things that we um, live in, experience, absolute love is that God is alive. God's not an idea He's not a religious system. He's not like a behavioral code. He's actually a very real and alive person who speaks and acts and engages and encounters us. And one of the things that we really feel like God is speaking to us as a family at the minute is that we are to make room for more. But that's part of what we're uh, kind of caught up in doing at the minute. We're making room for more. The words of Isaiah, Isaiah in chapter 54 says this. It says, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. And we really feel like this is something the Lord is speaking to us at the minute, that we are to make room for more in our lives. And um, slight side note, if you're part of this family and you missed last Sunday night, uh, Andy Smith was here finishing our Making Room for More weekend. If you missed that, can I, as strongly as I possibly can, can put my kind of um, lead pastor or kind of dad hat on and say, if you call this place home and you value being a part of this community, you need to listen to that talk. Um, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say I think it was the most significant um, sermon, talk, preaching moment in the history of our church family. And so if you value being a part of us or you're interested in what do we value, what's important to us, uh, it's online, making room for more in our city. Andy Smith, it's on the podcast. Go and listen to it. So we're making room for more. Logical follow-up question, well, more of what? And I talked about this idea last week that growth uh, isn't inherently good. It depends what's growing. Growth in a baby is very healthy. Growth in a tumor is very scary. So we're interested in growing in the right areas and growing the right things. What are we making room for more of? More of what? More is a funny concept in our culture. For many of us, we long for more. And we can find ourselves living with a deep sense of emptiness, longing for more purpose, for more peace, longing for more money, more attention, more stuff. Equally, whenever I say we're making room for more, some of you maybe get like cold sweat on your forehead. And you're like, more? Andy, my life is maxed out. I have absolutely no room for more. 
Many of our lives are absolutely full, and yet in the flow of our culture, we can find pressure pushing us towards more stress, more expectations, more responsibilities, more of a sense of we're not missing, we're missing out, we're not keeping up, we need to do more and more and more. So what is the more that we are making room for at its most basic level? We want to say the more is Jesus. In this community, we want to make room for more of Jesus in our lives, in our families, and in our city. But there's more than that. We feel like God is inviting us as a family to make room for more people in our lives, more of his power in our lives, and more of his radical generosity operating in and through our lives. And one of the real practical outworkings of this is we're getting ready to launch double services. We are literally making room for more in here by doubling our Sunday gatherings. We're moving to 9.45 and 11.30, like Laura said. And we fully expect this to be a moment of disruption for us, and we're excited about that. This is not a community where things stay the same for very long. Remember, a good friend says, you know, the biggest problem with Jesus is he's alive. Like a, a dead God doesn't really disrupt your life. But one that's alive and speaking often interrupts things, disrupts things, and our primary value here is to follow Jesus, to be obedient to what he says, and he sets the agenda, we don't, and so when he says, make room for more, we've got to order our lives around that, and so we are making room for more, and we expect it to be a moment of disruption, and we're really excited about that, because in the history of this community, there's been so many moments where we've made room for more. We started Sunday gatherings in our living room, we made room for more as we moved to Haslam's Lane. You heard Yvonne's story last Sunday of how she came connected with us while we were there and how Jesus so profoundly interrupted and transformed her life. We moved from there to the Civic Center in the Island Hall. We made room for more. And I want to invite Francis Mullen up. Where's Francis? Are you here? Welcome, Francis, as he comes. Come on up, Francis. Francis is going to come and um, just share a little bit of... um, his story with us this morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. Good. Have a seat. Um, Francis, can you just begin? Tell us a bit about yourself, background, general kind of life story. Uh, hi. Good morning, everyone. Um, so I'm Francis, a 43-year-old electrical engineer. I'm married to Jade uh, down the back there, and we've got two uh, lovely kids, Cameron and Isabel, who are four and eight. Um, we've been living in Lisbon now... Uh, about eight years. Uh, prior to that, we've been in Banbridge, and I've been sort of around the place quite a bit at this point. Wonderful. So, uh, so from a work point of view, you know, I, I work for ABB. Don't worry, no one ever knows who they are. They are one of the biggest automation companies in the world, but uh, no one ever hears of them. Uh, but the job that I have, it means it takes me around the world quite a bit, uh, which is fairly cumbersome. <laughs> Wonderful. So, Francis, can you tell us a little bit about um, how you connected to us as a community and where we were and what was going on kind of around that time? Um, so, my background, uh, I'm, I'm a Catholic. I've uh, been brought up in a, a pretty standard Catholic family. You know, um, my parents have been very, uh, very full of faith and all of that. Um, however, Jade and myself, we come from different backgrounds. Um, so... Uh, as a sort of through a married life was kind of different. I had been going to church from you know, from time to time. It would have been a pretty busy stage in my life where I was working pretty much every Saturday and Sunday. Um, but 
Jade, you know, obviously Jade was at some services with us, you know, do different things, and I've been at various uh, services, whether it be Presbyterian or Church of Ireland and things like that. Um, but as a family, it was never really connecting for us the same, you know, we had two different backgrounds, and it just didn't always gel. Um, now, in the back of my head, you sort of cast back, well, sorry, get that, get this right first. Jade uh, started uh, connecting with you when you were in Hazen's Lane. And uh, in the back of my mind, you know, I'm thinking, right, this is one of these newfangled uh, churches, what's this vineyard all about? And, you know, and also I can remember back to conversations where, you know, of uh, with various born-again Christians, you know, back in university, and a case of, if you're not, if you're not saved, that's it, you're, you're, you're not getting to heaven. If you don't declare your belief in God, that's it, you know, no get-out-of-jail-free card. I kind of thought, this doesn't sort of didn't sit with me very well, you know, it seemed a bit, um, a, uh, a, a bit restrictive. So, but at the same time, though, it was important for me that we were able to worship as a family. So, you know, she had said, well, come along. Now, I would have just maybe caught maybe the last two weeks in Hazen's Lane, uh, just before he's moved to the Civic Centre. Uh, which actually helped me greatly because I'm a borderline phobic of big crowds and tight spaces. So going to the Civic Centre, room for more, that certainly set me a little bit more at ease. Um, and I was about to be there. I've been a few weeks. I've been listening to yourself and uh, Mark, I think, gave a few of the talks at that stage. Uh, but, you know, so I, I, had, I had my faith, um, but I had this thing, what's this, you know, you know being saved, didn't sort of, didn't didn't make sense to me in, in a certain way, but the question you asked was not do you believe in God. You didn't start, but the question you asked was do you give your life to Jesus, and that made more sense to me. You know that that that's a question with more purpose mm. um, and a lot more baggage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but certainly more purpose, and so totally against my personality. Yes. Put my hand up. Um, you know, there's something that took hold of me that day, um, and and it, it's been great because it means now we 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 do worship, we do serve as a family, um, and that's that's a real important thing to me. Amazing. So. Can you just uh, talk a little bit about that? Isn't that cool? Yeah, you can applaud that. That's amazing. <laughs> Could you just uh, share a wee bit about the, the difference Jesus has made in your life and your family and um, since kind of, what's that, three, four, 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 years? four years? Four years, four years ago, years. wow. Four years in January. Wow. Um, well, again, it's probably happened a couple of different ways. So, uh, I suppose if, I can't remember if it was one of the dessert nights or maybe one of the very first tribe nights, you know what? I remember sort of saying to Dana and a few of you, said, like, you know, yes, look, I, I, I know most of the stories in the Bible, and you know, we've all gone through that education, particularly in Northern Ireland here, but I wouldn't have had any great in-depth knowledge of it. Mm. Still don't. <laughs> but but it, it just so happened sometime after that, uh, Paul Bradley was running a little WTC, or a little theology taster course, and so I went along to that. And... Uh, there was lots of good stuff in there, but one of the one of the elements of that that really st- 
stuck with me and struck me was um, Revelation 21. And again, it comes back to the question that you ask. Um, Revelation is it's about, it's not about us getting to heaven. It's not about us, what can we do to get there? It's about bringing heaven to here, wow. making heaven on earth. And that's, that's, that's the purpose. That's, that, that's what sort of, I feel it a little bit more. Um, so that's made a big difference in my outlook. Wow. Um, as overall sort of person, you know, we also, I've also sort of learned that we're all broken people in different ways. I've learned to, you know, in my, my early years at work, I would have been maybe known as a slightly highly strong person. Um, uh, but I guess with time and over, over the time, I've sort of learned to accept people as they are, mm. not as I would like them to be. Um, and that's also a lesson I've had to apply to myself, but even particularly more lately, you know, mm. you know, accept the way that I am, not how I used to be, not how I would like to be, you know, and sort of pray for the grace to do that. Don't always do it, but it's the big thing that I look for. Wow. Um, and, you know, being able to do it as a family, being able to do it as the wider family, you know, I, I think is, is, is a good place to be. It's a little bit of an inside story. It's it's on the family thing. You know, it goes back to the civic centre. You know, we all would have had our eyes closed and, you know, sort of put your hand up to, to give ourselves to Jesus. Um, but in terms of sort of, there's a little sort of story, with, you know, there was a, a snippet of a story came back through three or four different people. You know, Roger, who's playing the drums here, apparently was cheating. He had, a, he had a wee sneaky look. <laughs> so he said to Iris, you know, oh, Francis has said yes. And Iris said to Susan, Francis said yes. And Susan said to Jade, Fran- did you know Francis said yes? <laughs> but but it, it was with, was it was the, the message of joy that that was bringing mm. the others really touched me. Wow. Um, and there's been so many other examples of that over the years. Particularly, sort of the last few years, where I do take strength from the strength and the comfort and the prayers that the wider family here do do give us. It's wonderful. It's amazing. Um, we, can we give him a round of applause? <laughs> Quick um, thirty-second plug. Jane and Francis run our tots and toasts on a Friday morning. Um, for parents and caregivers for small kids. It's, it's in here. They did an amazing job uh, in that. Um, we're going to... Uh, Jade, can you come up and join us just for a second? This is the lovely Jade. This is all applause this morning. I'm so glad Laura did the hallelujahs. We're, we're fully in. Um, I would love to... Uh, Jade and Francis are uh, a family that are absolutely dear to us, and uh, we love who they are. We love what they do. We love their... Um, we went to Florida this Christmas to Disneyland, and uh, their wisdom saved our lives. We can talk about that later, but um, would you join me, and we're going to pray for them and their family, and um, why don't you stand just for a second, if you're able. Um, Yvette, come and help. Um, Dana, come here. Um, this is, we're off script here, so um, just we're just going to go with this, but um, Father, thank you so much for this family. For Jade, for Francis, for Isabel, for Cameron. Father, I thank you for the model that they are to us. 
I thank you for their humility and their wisdom. I thank you for how wholeheartedly they've given themselves to you. Lord, I thank you for their desire to see heaven come to this city and the world. And Holy Spirit, would you fill them freshly today? Lord, we honor them and we thank you for bringing them to us. Thank you for planting them among us. And we pray for your blessing and your favor upon their family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. You guys can have a seat. That was amazing. Wonderful, wonderful. So we have 10 minutes for a 40-minute talk. I'm not kidding. Um, Decisions, what will we do? Um, Let's just... um, condensed version. Matthew 16 um, verses 24 to 27 says this. Let me, um, Matthew 16 verse 24. Don't go there. I'm going to just read this really quickly. Um, Matthew 16 verse 24 says this. After Jesus and his disciples, oh no, that's 17. Sorry. That's what happens when you're in a hurry. Uh, Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Um, Just crazy... um, it's kind of a crazy text. I don't know if you, if you've ever you ever read things in the Bible and you're like, flip, that just sounds hard. Like, what what do I do with that? Like, I, I don't know if, how badly you want to find your life. Um, you ever meet those? This used to be much more common in LA when we lived there rather than Lisburn. But I used to meet people all the time who were in LA um, trying to find themselves. I mean, how did you lose yourself? When did that happen? That's a kind of an odd experience. It doesn't happen in Lisburn. Maybe it will one day. Imagine that if people start coming to Lisburn to find themselves. That'd be cool. Um, I wonder um, who in your life inspires you. Maybe it's somebody you know. Maybe it's uh, somebody uh, famous. Just take 10 seconds. Turn to the person beside you. Tell them somebody who inspires you. Somebody that you find inspirational. Have you got somebody? Anybody lacking in inspiration? I'll give you some good books to read. Okay, who did you say? Your dad, that's cool. Simon, who did you say? Oh, I, thought you were, I was just convinced you were going to say me. Just convinced. Oh, well, I'll try again next week. Um, you know, one of the things I've discovered over the past decade or so is it's really easy to be inspired by someone from a distance. It's, it's really easy to be inspired by someone from a distance And I'm not sure there's anything more tragic than people who are regarded best or regarded the most by people who are farthest away from their lives. You see, one of the things I am committed to and sort of stumbling my way through is that those closest to my life would regard me in the highest. That if you really want to know... See, 
it's kind of easy for me to stand up here on a Sunday and give hopefully what from time to time are kind of inspiring talks. And you could be forgiven for somehow leaving and going, Andy Masters, what a guy. So inspiring, so passionate about Jesus. A guy is just, he's just amazing. But if you really want to know what I'm like, if you really want to know if I deserve your respect, then ask my wife or ask my staff. I'm, I'm committed to being the kind of person who's regarded the most by those who are closest to me, not farthest away from me. And uh, to be honest, if they were being really honest, they would say, I think he's, he's, he's a pretty good guy most of the time. That would be the honest, the honest assessment. It's easy to impress from a distance. And in this text, I think Jesus defines for us what it means to live a great life. I wonder how many of you are interested, don't, don't raise your hand, but how many of you are interested in how do I live a great life? Like a great life. I think deep down somewhere in most of us, there's some degree of longing that we would get to the end of our lives and we wouldn't be necessarily surrounded by trophies or achievements, but our deathbed would be surrounded by people who love and respect us, who would speak of us saying they lived a great life. I think most of us could agree that we would like that. That would be something to kind of aim for. But the tricky thing for us is how do we define that? What does greatness really mean or look like? And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. Jesus is talking about a life of sacrifice. Life lived in the opposite direction of selfish ambition or selfish gain. Jesus goes on, what good does it do you if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Jesus is redefining the truly good life here. And he is not defining greatness as a life where everything goes your way. A life without pain or cost. What if the key to living a great life was found not in getting, but in giving? What if actually the solution to some of the stuff that you are wrestling with, fighting with, working your way through right now, isn't to get something, but it is in the act of giving yourself or something away that you actually find life. Four minutes. We're going to um, watch a video that I think summarizes this beautifully and then hopefully we'll try and land seven pages of notes in like 10 seconds. Are we ready? Watch this. I am a wife of almost 30 years, a mom of eight biological children, and then we do medical treatment, foster care, and adoption of medically needy kiddos and we've had seven of them come through our doors. Okay, so this is Charlie's room. We adopted him when he was 18 months old and he wasn't even anticipated to live long enough to get adopted 
And at this point in time, he's lived two years longer than that. Day to day, we live like he's living. When he actually is dying, then we will roll with what's necessary. In the meantime, we are living like Charlie is living. And we sing songs to him, and we pick him up, and we dance, and he gets lotioned, and he gets fed, and he's nurtured, and, and the kid is just living life. It's not all good, it's not all bad, it's not all scary, it's not all fearful, it's not all joyful. It's everything all together. And I don't make a difference for hundreds and hundreds of babies. But I'm able to step into the lives of a few of them and make all the difference for that one. And this is where I've been able to thrive. There are tears and there's grief, but there's so much more joy and hope for his life. I have what it is that God gives me strength to handle. There are definitely situations where the baby just dies and they don't necessarily have a name and no one goes to a funeral and they're not they're not missed and they and they're not loved and that for me is just not an option I just am celebrating the fact that you even were able to live and we're gonna be very sad when you go, but we're just going to be more glad that you came. What if Corey's life? was supposed to be normal for followers of Jesus. See, one of the things that's really easy for us to do in videos like this is to look at Corey and say, and her family and say, what heroes? And they are. They are heroes. But what if that was what was supposed to be thought of as all of us who associate ourselves with Jesus. That life is found in sacrifice, in giving, not just in getting. I know not all of us are supposed to foster and adopt sick and dying kids, but we are all supposed to live a life of radical sacrifice. If any would count themselves my disciple, then they must lose their life. And before you all kind of get like, geez, Andy, thanks for church this morning. (laughs) Something happens when we learn to give. Joy and gratitude and peace and hope fill our lives. Because God is alive 
And what he says is true, that it is better to give than get. And if you want to test that out, then go and try it. Order your life around the thing Francis so beautifully said, God, how do I help join you in bringing heaven here? Or maybe just buy someone a coffee this week. Just begin to exercise a muscle of an other-centered, focused life. Big hearts change the world. Big hearts change the world. Paul's summary of the life of Christ in Ephesians 5, he says, is a life, his life was marked by giving, not getting. And we are most like Jesus when we are giving our lives away. We are most like Jesus when we are sacrificing for the sake and benefit of others. How do we make room for more people in our lives? How do we make room for more people in our lives? We learn to sacrifice, and not just for a minute or for a moment. We learn, as Eugene Peterson so beautifully says, long obedience in the same direction. We learn to be formed in a way of thinking and doing life that seeks to give and to sacrifice. And the key to unlocking the door into this kind of life is to firstly embrace the sacrifice of Jesus. You see, teaching this, I can run the risk of just inspiring you all to go and try and do good stuff for a week. And you might be able to do it for a week. Some of the more saintly among us might be able to do it for a month. But eventually the momentum runs out. And we start asking the question, when is somebody going to do something for me? Or you you start doing all these good things and then something bad happens and you think, hey God, what's the deal? Like I've been doing all this stuff for other people and now my husband's got sick. That wasn't in the contract. You see, the, the, the secret to unlocking this is to first embrace the sacrifice of Jesus. To walk through that door of saying yes to him and allowing his presence to form and shape us as we seek to give our lives away to others. Without that, we're simply buying into a religious system of trying to do good. And we are supposed to try and do good. Like we are supposed to try and do good. James uh, defines true religion as taking care of orphans and widows. So we are supposed to be doing good. But without the pulsing present life of Jesus as the engine that sustains us, we just end up burned out and a little bit angry and annoyed with God. How do we make room for more? We embrace the sacrifice of Jesus and allow him to form that way of life in us for the sake of our city and all those around us. That's what it looks like. That's what it takes. That's what it costs. And in this community, we are passionate about becoming the most like Jesus we can possibly be. And we therefore will never apologize for calling you to sacrifice, for calling you to generosity, for calling you to give your lives away to your neighbors and your work colleagues and the places and spaces that surround your everyday, ordinary life. 
whoever, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And live in that rhythm and in that way. I want to pray for us and then I have a quick, um, really practical response that really is not fitting of the moment, but it's important. So let me, let me pray. Um, Lord Jesus, thank you for what you model to us in real life. Lord, thank you that you don't promise us a life that's all good or all bad or all joyful or all sad, but thank you that you promise us full and real and abundant life. And Lord, we ask that you would release that life within us. Give us a willingness to sacrifice and to give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.